produced with podcasting gear from Tascam, including the Tascam Mini Studio. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. This is Extreme Freedom Audio Bulletin. It cannot be traced, it cannot be stopped, and it is the only free voice left in the geek revolution. And welcome to another episode of Weeby Geeks. It is the dazzling duo, Derek, myself, Mike, and this week we're being joined by a guest. It's been a while, um, but we're being joined by Joseph Culp. How are you doing, Joseph? I'm doing fine. Nice to nice to see you there, Mike, Derek. Uh, and as we said before show, this is our first time actually calling into the future with with Robert or with, with Joseph being so so gracious to join us in the wee morning hours over in France. So, well, it's it's all it's all really one present, you know. <laughs> Just an illusion. Time is just an illusion. So what How is France this time of year? <laughs> I was about to go there. Well, that's always a good question to start with, guys. Uh, it's France uh, at this time of day is dark. Um, <laughs> it's it's because you know it's widely scattered darkness, uh, which is normally what happens at night. Um, anyway, it's autumn in France. It's uh, getting pretty cool and. A bit cold, rainy, and, um, you know, it's nice to build up the fire and stay indoors if you can. But, um, you know, it's it's a good time of year. I wish it, I could say it was that way here in Florida, but it's not. Ah, yeah. AC's still running. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. We were in the 90s today. Wow. Yeah. I think uh, I'm in Massachusetts, and we were, I think we hit, oh, it was a warm day, so we hit in the upper 50s. There you go. Well, wow. you know, Derek, it's a little closer to, to Massachusetts in uh, jolly old France. Um, and, uh, yeah, we got, uh, the apples are pretty much done and we've got, um, still some potatoes in the ground we can dig up. Um, anyway, it's, uh, everything is bon. Now you've got a movie coming out called Welcome to the Men's Club or Men's Group. I'm sorry. Welcome yeah, to the Men's Group. That's right. It's um, called Welcome to Men's Group. And that's uh, my new movie that's coming out this Friday. And it was a uh, an, an Indiegogo funded project? Um, not entirely. No, we, it was, it was actually not funded at all by Indiegogo. We did a crowdfund as many independent films will do, um, at a much later stage. Um, we'd already made the film, but we did an Indiegogo campaign a couple years ago when we were just starting to get into, uh, festival play and, um, you know, getting a, a, a little independent film that wants to, you know, make its way into the world no this was um independent project um which most films are because you know studio films have uh, you know are multi-million dollar things and films like this are a bit more modest uh, if you want to do a story um such as we did 
about uh, comedy drama, about a group of men that get together in a modern-day phenomenon, also known as a men's group, which is a group of guys who get together not to play poker or watch football and drink beer, but actually to get together and talk about their feelings, talk about who they are, talk about what's going on in their lives. Now, this is something that is, uh, as I say, is um, becoming more and more popular in a way, probably over the past 30 plus years. It was part of something called the men's movement. And the men's movement started largely as a reaction to feminism, um, which is to say women, you know, by the 70s were getting more, more empowered and men needed to figure out, you know, kind of, well, if they're changing, how are we changing? You know, how are we going to meet women in a new way? And and what about us anyway? You know, what about our, the kind of man that my father was or my grandfather or great-grandfather? I'm in... You know, masculinity has changed. So these groups started um, and they are kind of like spiritual support groups in a sense. And it's a, it's quite an interesting subject. And and, and, and I, I started joining men's groups many years ago uh, and I found them incredibly inspiring. Uh, there's something that guys can do with each other that, that is uh, very special in a certain way. Um, you know, we, we give each other a, a kind of energy um, that you just don't get anywhere else um, when you meet in this kind of way. And so a few years back, I decided it was time to make a uh, film about it. And that's what we have in Welcome to the Men's Group. So, so how much of your ex real experience with Men's Group carries over into the film or is parodied by the film? Well, um, qu quite an, an enormous amount of my experience. It's, it's a real personal film. Um, and I'll be clear about something. It, it really isn't. That's the thing about this movie. Um, when people heard we were going to do it, um, you know, there is largely a kind of uh, reaction to the idea about men getting together to talk about, you know, real things. And that reaction uh, normally is, is one of fear. <laughs> and it comes out in terms of, uh, you know, like, well, it's, I hope you're making fun of it because that's a bit scary. We didn't want this to be a satire. This really isn't, in, 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 in essence, it is not a parody and it's not a satire. It's really, uh, it's really a sincere film about a group. Um, it's a drama. It gets into pretty serious issues like... Male vulnerability, uh, male, you know, uh, depression, suicide, uh, impotence, uh, sexual stuff, um, all of that. But but mm -hmm. I'm also, you know, a storyteller, and 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 I come from the theater. Um, my background is a, as an actor, and so to get those kind of messages across, the best thing to do is to make sure it's also funny. And so it, but it's not a typical satire the way Hollywood would do it. So the men do not go on a camping trip and meet up with hookers and rob a bank and <laughs> you know, do all the stuff that anybody said, well, you got to make them go on a road trip. You got to do that. And I said, no, no, my writing partner and I, when we first started working on it, said, no, we're going to really do it as if a camera is coming into this experience, as if, 
It's a one, one single morning in the life of this men's group. They all meet at this guy's house. It's, it's what we call a house movie. The whole thing takes place really in one location. Oh, that's cool. And we really explore what happens when this happens. So um, it did come from personal experience. I won't say that it's, it's not autobiographical because it is a fiction. Um, but these characters are based on many types of men that I've met, certainly parts of my own self. And um, that may know well a challenging film in a certain way and more sincere. But it is funny. And if you watch the trailer on YouTube, Welcome to the Men's Group, you will start to laugh and say, oh, boy, this is going to get. <laughs> well, um, there were definitely some funny parts, but it, I it was it was interesting. Um, I was not expecting the men, the characters to open up as much as they did and get as as deep into their their problems and their and their issues <clears throat> as they did. So it was kind of that was interesting. Well, I appreciate that because that was really our goal was to say, you know, can can we make a movie about guys actually opening up and have it be compelling um, and also, you know, entertaining at the same time that like, w- would that be interesting? And mm-hmm. in a way, it, it, it's it's very close to um, you know, this film is very much like going to see a play. You know, it's it's eight guys. They're in a yeah, you know, yeah, house yeah. most of the movie. And, you know, to make that interesting, it's the, 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 the discussion has to be lively. And yeah, again, the challenge was, could they start, you know, what happens when men actually become brutally honest with each other? Well, that could be pretty scary. Uh, <laughs> it could also be very funny. And the themes in the film are about authenticity. You know, that's what, why these groups exist. You know, men, you could say, socially, we're, we're predisposed to not really be authentic at all, where we hide how we really feel because it's not accepted. You know, it's not acceptable as a man to talk about, you know, your vulnerability or your fear or, or any right. of that. Um, we're expected to be tough. And that and so the movie really breaks that taboo by by examining a group of guys that, that try, try to get past that mask. And that's, uh, they do it. And sometimes they don't do it very well and they get into trouble mm-hmm. and the movie, you know, descends into chaos. Um, but, uh, so yeah, it's it's challenging in a certain way. In fact, <clears throat> a lot of men like the film and they recognize many of these characters or, or people they know or, or parts of them. But some men are very challenged by the film. They're like, come on, you know, I, I don't know if I want to hear guys talk about how they really feel. But women love the film. <laughs> they really, it's like, it's like some people said it's the first film about men for women. Because women, you know, have been dying to hear men open up and talk about things. And so it's quite revealing. And they are, all of our screenings and audiences, the women are really over the moon. So we feel like we, we did something right there. Definitely. What was one of the most um, entertaining, well, okay, we could go most entertaining or most interesting moment mm-hmm. during the shoot of the film oh my goodness um so many um you know first of all let's just say for your audience out there this this movie is unusual 
in that it's it's an ensemble piece, which means it's it's with a with a really, really great ensemble. And some of the there it's a group film in that sense. There's no the whole star the star of the movie is the group. Yeah. And each mm-hmm. actor is phenomenal. I mean, these performances are unbelievable. Uh, guys like Steven Tobolowski, who uh, you've yeah. you've all seen him, you know, Groundhog Day. That's Ned Ryerson. Uh, the Goldbergs, Californication. The guy's done a hundred movies. Yeah. Um, he's he's one of my favorite them. character actors. Oh yeah, yeah. He's I think he's probably one of the most beloved character actors in in the country, you know, in the mm. world. See, I I love uh, him. Tim I love him from Bottoms. Better actor too. Yeah, I, I love I love Stephen from Groundhog Day because Groundhog <laughs> the movie I relate to because uh, I work for Walt Disney World and my uh-huh. and my hired day is February 2nd uh, back in 1998 so I just hit 20 years with the company but uh, congratulations. Th- that's my own personal groundhog day is like uh, I'm going back <laughs> to work for the mouse this day never ends so uh, <laughs> so anything associated with groundhog day uh, I have absolutely loved nice so nice. well he he does Tobolowski who everybody will recognize as soon as you see him pop up in the movie oh definitely yeah uh he he does some stuff in this movie this character he plays carl is he's like the classic big business schemer the guy who's kind of a con man he, you, <laughs> you you he's always you know lying about something and in this day because he's in a men's group that finally comes unraveled you know like who is this guy you know who is in this a big guy? way <laughs> and he gets revealed and Tobolowski just full arm keeps going off because it's four o'clock in the morning here. Um, Tobolowski is, uh, he reveals all, let's put it that way. And, and then some, yeah, yeah that is the, problem I, the film makes. I saw more of him than I expected to see. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> well, we could just go for it. Yeah, the, the film, as we say, does go there. It's like you want to see men get real. Well, this film will show you much more. It's the L.A. Times uh, said it might be the the biggest dose of male full frontal nudity in any mainstream film ever in the history of movies. So it's eight guys, and you see the whole thing, and yet it's all part of the story. It's part of what they have to do at one point yes. to yeah. to to be brothers and to be in solidarity. They gotta they gotta strip it all down, and they do. I, I think so. I think one article I saw they said "Welcome to the Men's Group" is more Monty than full Monty. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. So it's it's the fullest it's the fullest Monty that you'll ever. <laughs> We'll ever see. In fact, our, our our cinematographer is called was Monty Monty Rowan, a really great cinematographer. Yeah, um, when you ask, what's the most challenging thing in the movie? Um, that's certainly for all of the actors. They were all game. They were all down for it. Um, every actor, you know, when they do independent film. They're doing it out of passion. It ain't for a paycheck, you know. Um, they they wanted, each actor wanted to do this story. They felt like they wanted this experience in a certain way of like, what would that be like to, to be in one of these groups? And let's do it, you know, as a fiction. But in a way, we we actually were the group. 
You know, we really had to, you know, even if we're playing characters, it's about guys who are really getting into it with each other. And it gets very, very risky, very dangerous. So every day, that was the challenge on an emotional level for the actors. But that's what actors like to do. And and when it came to, you know, how far are we willing to go to be authentic <laughs> in the story and with ourselves as actors, you know, the, the nudity question is, is it's, it's amusing. Um, it's not, it's funny how we have such a double standard, you know, as, as in the States about nudity. We're still quite a puritanical country in a certain way. And we Oh, yeah. We jump at that whole idea, particularly with men. Like with women, we can see naked women all day, and and they could be in horror films and slasher films, and and yet a guy's you know full package is there, and everybody freaks out. So it's kind right. of a double standard. Right. In in the Europe act, I've screened it a lot in in Europe. They don't really see it that way. They 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 don't have the same issues about nudity. But those things are there. So, yes, that was challenging for these actors. But they all went to it like good little boys and um, and pulled it out, so to speak. Um, <laughs> you know, there were many challenging, really intense schedule. Like it was we had very little time to shoot it. So all of the actors agreed to rehearse, which is a bit unheard of today. It just, you know, you keep, you know, you can't pay actors enough to rehearse. And these guys, we all did it. We did several days of rehearsal so we could memorize everything and then be able to shoot long takes and have it really be organic and realistic. Um, that's just, you know, not done today. Um mm. And that, that's an amazing kind of commitment from actors, you know, so we rehearsed it like a play. We shot it with two cameras. We could do extraordinarily long takes where guys are really, really behaving, you know, in that situation and not just a little one and a half minute scene. Um, but they did it. And so that challenge we met and um, I don't know, that was, uh, you know, check out the movie and you'll <clears throat> you'll you'll be uh, pleasantly surprised, I think, um, at some of the things that these guys actually do. Oh, definitely. It really I think you're right. It really it really does have the feeling of a play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which uh, is really interesting. I came from, you know, I've, I've, I've been in the theater for years. Um, I certainly started as a young actor uh, doing plays and. And like a lot of movies I like, or they come from plays. The Twelve Angry Men, for instance, is a great play. Um, that was a wonderful film, and it all takes place basically in one room. Um, um, other films with groups, like um, I think of um, Cuckoo's Nest. You know, one of the Cuckoo's Nest is you know the guys sitting around. We're just watching them. We're just watching their behavior with each other. It's kind of extraordinary. Right. Um, so I, I'm I'm a big fan of those kind of movies. I like human behavior. Uh, this movie is absolutely dedicated to just studying human behavior of guys. Yeah, another thing I like was. Um, at f how at first, even though they were in a men's group together that they've been in for a while, it it still took them a while to really open up. Um, yeah, and that that that's very that's definitely I could definitely see that being the way it would be. I think it is. I mean, I have, like I said, I, I have been in these groups. Uh, I'm still in a men's group, proudly. Um, these guys have been meeting. I, I've been with some guys that have been meeting for 15 years or more. 
Wow. And we all know each other quite well. And we're there to kind of encourage each other and hold each other to the fire. But, you know, men are, uh, again, I think this, this sort of taboo about, you know, how comfortable are we with our, you know, sharing our real feelings about our relationships, about our work, about money, about kids. It takes them time, you know, to like kind of sift down into that place. And sometimes it takes your your brother and your men's group to go, hey, what, you know, I don't buy it. Like, what's really going on with you? you know? mm. And like, who wants to hear that? And yet the whole point that I think the film makes is that there's something about that that is actually really, hmm, you know, really supportive that men need that i i there's some stuff in the film you, you may have noticed that makes reference to well the ancient world let's put it that way right um there's there sequences about storytelling about images of the cave you know the not just the man cave but like kind of the animated to throw that in there because men have been meeting in these councils let's say for thousands of years and and you might even argue that it's been a bit lost that 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 modern life and technology industrial revolution took us away from that more you know that connection to our nature that men are really healthiest when they're connected to nature in a certain way which is just the nature of you know kind of where we come from right um and that men in council men in groups you know that's how how we survive so there's something the movie's trying to say about that like this is good for men you know men need to do this more and not just check out by just drinking, you know. Right. Uh, so there's a social statement being made, too, about, about that. And, and yeah, it takes a while. It's like the movie moves through the layers of, men, of men's resistance, you know, I like to say. It's like you, you get one layer in the beginning, they're kind of on the surface, they're talking about politics or whatever, and then it goes a little bit deeper, and they start to share about, okay, what's going on in your life? And then it gets a little bit more, like, how do you really feel about that? And like, well, I don't know. And until finally, by the end of the film, we've been dealing with some really raw material, you know, raw feelings about trust, about betrayal, about, you know, um, you know, are we are we really, you know, are we really men? What does it mean? What does it even right. mean now? I mean, how do we feel about being men today? It's a pretty interesting question. So. Well, the the other the other thing I liked is uh, the character of Tom, um, yeah. played by by Mackenzie yeah. Aston, yeah. who who was the newcomer to the group. And yep. at first, he was he was saying, you know, I don't know if this is my kind of thing. Maybe we should just, you know, maybe we better if we were just watching football and drinking beers. I don't, you know. But after a while, he really, you know, showed he he, well. he, he showed he sort of uh, sheds his fears. I guess you could say. Such an important part of this story, you know, is that he's the newcomer. And in a way, you know, uh, my writing partner and I, when we first started working on this, I said, you know, there's got to be the guy who's the new guy. Because in a way, that's us. That's the audience. We're right. the new guy. We're, mm -hmm. we're coming in. He's the audience surrogate. It's like, well, what about these this men's group? What, is, what are they doing there? So he is so amazing, this actor, Mackenzie Aston, because he plays, he's like, it's pure acting in that it's all a lot of reacting. It's that <laughs> we see the group through his eyes. Mm. And and as we would see them, it's like, well, okay, they're, they're kind of goofy. And how is that? And he's a bit nervous in the beginning, of course. Like, what are these guys all about? 
And some stuff thinks is kind of interesting. And then, you know, they get into conflicts and bad behavior. And he starts kind of raising his eyebrow like, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's happening? And at a certain point, he's like, I'm not sure I can, you know, this is right for me. Uh, maybe you guys should just, you know, take a break and go drink some beer because this is getting a bit hairy. Until finally he feels he has to be there because these guys, some. On this particular day, there are guys in real trouble. There are guys in crisis. There are guys who are freaking out. And in a way, he, he as a man, he kind of steps up and goes, well, I, I guess I'm needed here. And that's part of the point, you know. He, keep, he and, and the rest of the group finally are there for their, their brother, you know, to keep him from going mm -hmm. over the edge. And so Tom's character, in a way, gets, you know, an initiation, which comes up, the idea about initiations comes up in, right. the, in the story about what, what, what about male initiation? What is that? You know, do we even know what it is anymore? How do you become a man? You know, how did you come? How did you come about with the casting for this film? Really good question, Mike. Um, you know, in typical to independent films, you know, when you're finally getting out the gate and okay, we're really going to make this movie. We got to cast it now. People tend to get really um, pie in the sky, like, well, uh, we can get this actor and that actor. And, and I'm like, no, we can't get those actors because the actors cost a lot of money. And even if, we, you know, could, even if they wanted to do it, their agents don't let them, you know, which is a horrible thing. There are many actors, I can tell you, who wanted to be in this movie, but their agents wouldn't even tell them about it, about right. that. You know, it's such a shame. Um, and so what we had to do was just open it up and say, OK, who's. Who's gonna um, Who's gonna come? And the casting director put it out. The first guy that walked in the door, I might say, was Stephen Tobolowsky. Ah, oh, that's Scripted. awesome. You know, God bless him. He read it. He just said, "It's great. I want to do it. What do I do? Where do we go?" And Timothy Bottoms, this incredible veteran actor of the '70s, Last Picture Show and Paper Chase, and even played George Bush and That's My Bush, one of my favorite comedies from Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, this guy. Unbelievable. Um, Dave Clannon, a veteran, another wonderful veteran actor, as I say, from like John Carpenter's The Thing and Being There and all these incredible films of Hal Ashby. So, you know, we just one after another, we got to meet these extraordinary actors. They were passionate about doing it. And I have to say the casting is pretty extraordinary. You know, they're just you believe these guys. Um, you believe that they're the characters. In fact, they're so good because you never you've seen these actors before many of them but you believe that they're really these guys in this movie i i think you, you, oh, you're yeah. never thrown by their visibility which that's always you know a problem in a certain way it's like if you have an actor that well let's say you know is really really visible in a way you put him in a movie about a group of guys that you're supposed to believe you, you don't really believe it you don't believe the movie because you're like well you know if it's tom cruise he's wonderful maybe but it, i believe that this is a real group i've had more audiences in in festivals and specialty screenings say like a couple of them would stand up so how did you get these guys to do this? I mean, how did you get them to open up and talk about their life? And I'd say, they're actors. It's a script. That's how. <laughs> they thought it was maybe real. Well, that's a good compliment, though. Yeah, it was a pretty good compliment. Yeah, the, the acting's that good. Mm. Now, was there someone that you wanted to get that um, that just... We couldn't get? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that's 
again, there's that that thing with people get very excited uh, about the possibilities of actors. Mm-hmm. There were some that we we played that game. We went out to with with offers. Um, again, the offers, the kind of money that we could offer actors for this film is, you know, n- n- enough for coffee and a sandwich. You know, it's like <laughs> uh, it's always it's always a miracle when good casting can happen when you have a you know a more modest budget. Um, there were some, but I gotta say, I'm just over the moon about who, you know, we actually got to, to play these characters. I, I, many people have said like, I can't imagine other people in the roles. I really can't. I think they're so perfectly cast and, and believable again. It's like, I love it when a movie can transport me and make me think, uh, yeah, like I'm really in that world. I'm never thrown off by the stature of the actor or something like that. That's, that's Mm -hmm. always one guy. Yeah. It's not really right for me to name names because, you know, I love so many actors being one myself, but he was, he was someone I really admire. And, uh, he, he wanted to, he was really interested in being in the movie, but frankly, he said, uh, quite clearly goes, listen, man, uh, I love to be in this movie, but I, I can't act with my penis out. <laughs> and I said, "What do you mean? You're like a great actor. Of course you can." He goes, "No, man, no. I'll be thinking about it the whole time. I'll, I won't be able to act." And his wife actually came thinking as well, and she went, looked at him like, "What are you crazy? Of course you can. You're you're a great." He goes, "No, I'm telling you, can't we do something about that?" And I said, "No." Everybody signs up for that. We're we're going all the way on this one. Uh, and it turned out, funny. you know, I'm really maybe we do men's group two. He'll be in it. We do the series. He'll be in it because he he twittered when we when it first started screening. He went, I made a huge mistake. I should have been in. The so that was pretty cool. Um, took some guts. Let's put it that way. You got to get over your starness, your star syndrome. You know, and, and, actually, and you know, the, a lot of people. You know, I, I by the way, I love the name of your show, We Be Geeks. You know, because. Oh. I am. I'm a major film geek, uh, even, you know, being in the show business. Um, you haven't mentioned, you know, part of my cred there, which is that I, you know, I'm the actor who played the first version of Dr. Doom in Roger Corman's oh, Fantastic oh, Four. We, we were going to get to it. We, <laughs> we, we wanted to touch yeah. on men's group first, then, well, I, so then get there. Then yeah. get there. Well, I, I just did it for you just in case, because I could go on talking about men's group and I, and I, it comes out this Friday. So I hope everybody will go, you know, we'll check it out. But I love your show title because I love movies. I love genre. You know, I, I did this movie, but <clears throat> I grew up on horror movies and sci-fi and, you know, my dad was a famous actor, Robert Culp. So, and I was going yes. we were going to go there too. So, oh, yeah, go for it. But since <laughs> I it might be since you, 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 we we talked about going <laughs> that we're talking to someone in the future, yeah. our future. Yeah, uh, let's yeah. let's do a little bit of the reverse and go back to the past, nineteen ninety three. Travel. Let's do some time traveling. 1993, 1994, working with Roger Corman on probably one of the, I thought, better looking, even even though it's a Roger Corman film, 
one of the better looking Fantastic Four films out there. How'd you get involved with that? Well, well, you you said a mouthful, Mike. It, oh, the 1994 Roger Corman Fantastic Four is widely regarded um, in many of our circles, and I know you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, to be, you know, the, the, maybe even the the, the 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 best version of the Fantastic Four, which is which oh, is no doubt. A, you know, it's, well, it's an extraordinary story. I, I'll, uh, I'll tell you, I'll take yeah. it a little bit further. Probably the best underground film out there. Wait, I, I lost you for a second on Skype. So tell uh, me again, what were you going to say? The best underground film out there. Hmm. So <laughs> we have singular, you know, fame as as probably one of the most bootlegged films of all time. Yes. And why is that? Because in 1993. We made a film um, that many people say now was was actually never meant to be seen, which is a bit absurd because nobody makes a movie not to be seen. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, Certainly, Corman. That, but every yeah, intention, yeah. you know, to it, be it, seen. It, I want I want to plug real quick. Um, we've had Mark Sykes and uh, ah. and Marty Langford on the show uh, back when they All were right. promoting. Um, just still in the um, editing phases of Doomed, the Fantastic of Doom documentary. Yeah. yeah. So I've seen I've, I've seen Doom since it since it's been released, and it's great, and the story is awesome. Um, but yeah. to, but to have someone like yourself who was on it, and of course one of the yeah. better yeah. Doctor Dooms out there. Um, well, I appreciate it. How? So, no, yeah, I'll let you yeah. continue your story. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna interrupt. Well, here, here it comes. Look, none of us knew what was gonna happen. Um, we were, you know, we were all younger actors um, coming up, as you might say. And all of a sudden, uh, there was this opportunity. Like, I got to audition at the, and I said, "What? The Fantastic Four? What are you kidding me? Wow, who's doing that?" And then he said, "Roger Corman." I said, "Roger Corman." I'll work for him in about, you know, one second. Uh, you know, that's the, the crab monsters and all the all the bad movies from my childhood, you know, that I love so much. Um, mm-hmm. It oh. came from outer space, for goodness sake. Um, Be, being a horror film was fanatic. And so a, I was like, well, you, I'm sorry. What were you uh, saying? I was going to say, being a horror film fanatic like you are, this is right up your alley working with him. It was right up my alley. And, and I grew up with comics, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, a fanboy of, of a certain ilk. And uh, Fantastic Four was actually always one of my favorites. It was like there was always something about that comic. It was like, you know, these four, you know, mutated people. It was quite original. It's an American original. And and it was for Doctor Doom. And I was like, what? You know, and so I mm. I went in there and I, I if you watch the documentary and I hope some of your audience will think about doing that. The documentary is called Doom. The, the true story Very of Roger yeah. Corman's yeah. Fantastic Four. I think I tell them in that story, which is that, you know, I, I urged me to go for it. And I just went into my, you know, meta hyper evil villain doom. And that's the way I saw it. I, I you know, the comic has a classic kind of edge to it. It's yep. Doom is, is one of the great supervillains of all time. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he, he he predates Darth Vader by you know a couple of decades. He right. he's that classic you know um, brilliant scientist 
wounded, um, power hungry. Um, you know, he, he wears an iron suit uh, <laughs> and he has powers and, and it's such, such a rich character. And I said, he, and I got to do him as if he's a great Shakespearean role. You know, that's the way uh, he is. Yes. He's, he's full of power and, and he's a tyrant. He's a king. He's a king of his own country. And, and so I went for it and the director was like, you're the man, you got to do it. And <laughs> it was an excruciating experience because this was way before big CGI and, oh. and all kinds of, you know, uh, wonderful special effects. This was 93, which is, they had special effects, but we didn't have the money for it. So this was all practical. I mean, I was really in a metal suit. It was not actually metal, but it felt like one uh, <laughs> that was made for me. Um, it was it was a grueling experience. And a lot of that went into the emotional kind of tenor of the performance. Um, and the thing about the movie that's so charming is that we all were very it was a good script and we were all very sincere in our approach we wanted this to be as best as we could possibly make it uh, a version true to the original spirit of the comic true to the comic and that's what we as fans you know and comic aficionados that's what we love what happened is you know that the the german producer who had the rights he had to hold on to those rights because he wanted to make a big budget version of the fantastic four but it's like time bring that theme up again today wasn't wasn't ripe for it yet you know marvel was kind of in a lost period they didn't know what they were doing and in a way you might even argue that that the kind of technology that we have in the marvel film today you know just didn't exist people right. hadn't figured that apart out and so so we were doing you know kind of a tv version on some level of the fantastic four but we did it and we did it with a lot of love and a lot of heart and and it really you know shows in this film and that's why people still love it i think and our characters were true to the original characters. And then, you know, uh, a couple of months before, weeks before it was going to be released, we were all getting pretty excited. We were doing um, press junkets. We were doing Comic-Con, which was still, you know, as I like to say, you know, comic book culture became mainstream. But in 94, it was still more underground in a certain way. It hadn't quite got there yet. Right. Oh, yes. Um, we remember. <laughs> you remember well. Oh, yeah. And uh, we were we were. We're all in, you know, basements with comic books. And now Comic-Con is probably one of the biggest events in in the world, in the world. You know, mm. it happens once a year in San Diego and it's it's enormous and it, it defines culture. Uh, so at that time, it was quite different. But, but I'll just say anyway, the film was pulled back. The producer, producer bought it back from Corman and said, no, I'm putting this on the shelf because I can make a big deal with Fox to make a big Fantastic Four, not this, you know, sort of little heartfelt, modest one. And so that was a big crushing blow to everybody, particularly the director who did an outstanding job. <clears throat> the film is it's it's whimsical it's funny it, it very much captures a comic book feel um yeah. there's oh, nothing yes, wrong with it, right you know it's, it's wonderful and it took 13 years before the first you know big version of fantastic four came out yeah and then you know followed by another one by silver surfer and then even a third one just a couple years ago which and oh. they basically fan yeah there it is oh you know it's like <laughs> they tried to reinvent the fantastic four and it sucks you know it's not very good well yeah. and people you know and so the big joke or the irony of the story is that in those years in between you know as i say <clears throat> comic-cons and underground 
when, you know, comic book culture started getting more and more active. And this film got out, you know, the VA, old VHSs started being passed around and bootlegged. Yeah. And yep. it, you know, uh, I, people would ask and they go, hey, you know, I saw it. It was kind of a crappy version of the, of the video, the fourth generation, but it was pretty good, you know. And I said, yeah, well, it's interesting you saw that. And so within about 10 years, it was like the most bootlegged film that, you know, besides yeah. the, the Star Wars Christmas uh, special uh, oh, yeah. that anybody had. <laughs> and, and I was part of it, and I started getting fan mail. Oh, you wow. Know, after hey, I had to put it to bed, you know, like, okay, that was over. I didn't get to, nobody got to know that I played Dr. Doom. Well, guess what? I started getting fans. Uh, people said, your Doom is awesome, and he's the way Doom should be. And yes. the new Doom, kind of like this cool guy, and that's not right, you know? Uh, mm. Come on. Now the, the Fantastic. Now, the Doom from... So, that's the, the, the Doom from... Um, the Evans Alba checklist era wasn't yeah. bad. Now, the, no, it wasn't bad. No, the one from the 2015 film, which you're going to appreciate this because mm. we have a whole little bit about it. We call it the fantastic flop. <laughs> <Ta-da>. <laughs> and, and we, oh, and every time, we, and every time we mention the fantastic flop, that little stinger pops up. So, no, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Well, but, uh, and it's like they tried to reinvent something instead of yeah. capture the essence. The the, yeah. the, the, the ones from um, what was it? 2000, early 2000s. Mm. Yeah. Like you said, it's not that they were bad, but I got to say, most fans still didn't really they weren't that happy with it. They felt like it's no, still yeah. it big special effects. And Doom was okay, but he yeah. wasn't Doom. You know, you no, didn't have no. that Doom spirit of this, you know, archetypal villain. Hey, and, then, yeah. and then the second yeah. one was Silver Surfer, Galactus yeah. being a cloud. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you can't fool the fans. That's what I always say. It's like, you mm-hmm. you know, do it right, get it right, and, and, and listen to what, you yeah. know, the thing wants to be. And so here we are, 20... Four years, or I don't know, 25 years later, and we're still talking about the Corman Fantastic Four, and it is still unreleased. <laughs> it is on YouTube. You can watch it today if you like. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And, you know, I've never been, you know, paid one residual for, for the millions of people that have seen it, <laughs> oh. which all the actors still gripe about. And I said, you know, guys, I said, dig it. You know, it's wonderful in a certain way. It proves the love of real genre stuff, you know, that our film, in a way, is more popular, more famous yeah. than it would have if it had been released mm-hmm. 1994. Well, oh, yeah. And y'all's film was probably truer to the characters in the books, even for the 90s, than all these other Absolutely. ones have been. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean... I mean, listen, the, the Marvel films today are, are certainly, you know, extraordinary. What I love about, you know, comic book genre today or any, um, you know, fantasy action stuff is that you can do anything and make it look like that. Yeah. I mean, it's extraordinary what happened to filmmaking. It's like, you know, you it's it's anything you can dream of, you could make it happen. But I think what we're talking about is that the one thing you can't chintz out on finally, you know, is what is the story and who are the characters and wh- why right. do we love them? Why do we really like them? Because even the biggest special effects can make you, if you don't feel there's something really 
you know, um, true to the spirit, let's put it that way. And that's what the Fantastic Four uh, that I did, I think, always will capture. And I have, I have got to, wa- I, I got to watch it once. I went to, I was invited to a con in, in St. Louis, and the guy said, screw it, we're going to show it. <laughs> and in a ballroom, he showed it, like, who's going to stop us? The cop's going to come? No, you know, no one's going to stop us. And I, I got to watch it with an audience, a big audience, and they just oh, loved it, man. They yeah. just roared and clapped, and they just went for it. It was awesome. Well, I, I'm Derek and I are on another show together called uh, Wookie Radio, and I actually run a third show called Mighty Marvel Geeks. And, ah. and my co-host on that show would consider it a disservice if I didn't say, now that Fox is being bought by Disney and Fantastic Four is coming home to Marvel movie-wise, yeah. I say now, and let's start this now on Twitter, on social media, hashtag Joseph Culp, <laughs> the new Doctor Doom, and bring yeah, you back say, to the role. I would That's say the so, only Doctor Doom. The only, do- there we go. The only Doctor Doom. You hashtag know, Joseph Culp, only Doctor Doom. I love it. I love it. Thanks, man. Um, I really appreciate that. Uh, many fans, at, you know, I started going to cons and they, uh, you know, and I had photos. I have original photos of it and everything. And I started signing them and, and it was just kind of sweet. You know, it's like, you know, after all this time, you know, there's some appreciation for what I what I what I tried to do, and it, and it always will be there. And yes, if we make another Fantastic Four film, not only should I play Doctor Doom, but at least uh, we should give cameos to all the original yes. actors. Yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. You know, it's like. It's it's uh, I'm on a thread with those guys uh, in emails. And whenever there's, you know, every few months, it seems like there's some little article pops up like, what about that film? And when Doomed came out, the documentary. So the other day, um, yeah, that I saw something, the director. Oli Sasson, who's again, you know, in the documentary, it's really well done. Uh, Marty and Mike did a great interview with him because, you know, he really, you know, in my book, you know, he's the one who really lost out in a certain sense. You know, he he did a really terrific move and he never got the benefits of it, which is a director. That's people. People don't want to know the reasons why they just like, well, your film didn't come out, you know, and they think Mm -hmm. that's his fault, not his fault. No. Uh, And so he, he sent out a thing. Look at this, you know. It's on YouTube. There was a new article about it the other day. It was trending. And we're still going. And I said, dude, you know, we should like, we should do a fan film where all of us in the movie, like, replay the roles again. And I like a short or something, right? And I said, like, we should like do it. And I know Ole lives in New Orleans. So I had this idea. And I said, listen, like, we're all the Fantastic Four characters. It's Doom. It's Susan. It's Reed. It's Johnny and and Ben. And and we're all like in a bar in New Orleans or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> drink. And how drink. would they all react? And, and he said, it's great. You should write it, man. And we'll try and shoot it. You know. So we're talking about it now. Drinking coffee, eating beignets at Cafe du Monde. There you go. <laughs> that would be as awesome. the, as the sun's or, rising. Or like Susan's, like you know, I don't know. Yeah, she's like the waitress. And Ben is like behind the bar, 
<laughs> Doom like owns the place, I think, probably, or, or he crashes it, you know, comes into, you know, and then they all end up drinking together. And I don't know, something could happen. Well, do, there could be something like huge fires in the background yeah. further down the Mississippi. And it's like you guys are recreating the shawarma scene from the end credits from the Avengers. But you're at Cafe Du <laughs> with beignets <laughs> and coffee. And with, we're like, we're not going to go put that out. Come on, we're, we're <laughs> I want another drink. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's it's I, a good story. And thanks for bringing it up. I, I know I would love to have all you guys on Mighty Marvel Geeks to talk about that adventure. Oh, that'd be well, awesome to do. I could I could probably arrange that. So yeah. let's talk about it. We'll talk yeah. about it after show. Absolutely. Now, now I want to jump up from 94 back into the 2000s again. Uh, you were kind of on a small little series on um, AMC called Mad. Edmund? Oh, that little, yeah, that just little thing, a little off, <laughs> the tiny wall little thing. series. Yeah, how'd you get that involved with familiar. that? That was a great yeah. show. I actually, I actually love yeah, that show. Oh my god, it's come on. That's that's one of the that's a classic now of modern yeah. television. You know, it's like it was, uh, they really they really broke the mold. You know, and I, and I I will be a guy and say Christina didn't didn't hurt it any. <laughs> yeah, Christina. <laughs> But the, oh but the show, <laughs> but the, the show for us, didn't she? But the yes. but the but the uh, story Batman. the story was for, great. I, I had no idea what that was. It was you know, um, I I went in to meet for it. I, I, it was actually here's a here's a classic story of an actor. Uh, I I so I played yeah I ended up playing the father of the lead character Don Draper. Yep. Who came a bit of an icon in TV and, you know, TV history in a certain way, because this was about, as we know, the Madison Avenue executives of the 60s, that whole world. Um, it showed us something that had been kind of forgotten and rediscovered about that culture um, when men were, you know, very misogynist and the women were secretaries and everybody smoking and drinking martinis. But it was a real American story about about you know success and 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 go back to men. You know, one person pointed out my film "Welcome to the Men's Group" and said, "You know, you were on Mad Men, which was a certain type of man, and now you've made a movie about this. What's the connection?" And I said, "You know, Mad Men. If if you ever watched the whole series, it actually ended at the moment that my kind of film, if let's put it this way, began, which is to say, it was like the human." It's called the Human Potential Movement of the 60s. The end of Mad Men, this guy that we've watched, this corporate exec guy, we've watched him kind of come apart finally. You know, that his 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 uh, lying about his identity, who he really was, he was really, you know, um, not, he was not Don Draper. Um that was that was an American story about you know the self-invented men and where where did they really come from and by the end of the sixties they were <clears throat> you know giving it up a lot of them you know dropped out they said fine I, I'm not this guy I'm I don't know who I am and they started going to you know grow beards and go to meditation groups and try and find out who they really were and that's what happens to Don Draper at the end of that series which is pretty extraordinary that's really where my film begins which is this became a new a new step for men. But to back to the story of Mad Men, how did it happen for me? Uh, I was called in to read for it. I, nobody knew who what this. It was a little fledgling. AMC had not done a series yet. And I may remind you of that. Way before yeah. Walking Dead was uh, 
find reality. Um, AMC showed old movies. Yeah. And they were like, kind of like TCM, you know, they were vying to be the same. <clears throat> At a certain point, they realized they needed more revenue and they wanted sponsorship. You couldn't just show old movies. So they went, well, I guess we've got to create some original content. Yeah, there's this guy named Matt Weiner. He wrote for The Sopranos. He produced there. And he had had this script kicking around Hollywood for, you know, apparently a decade or so. Uh, that's what the story says. <laughs> and nobody really wanted to touch it. And then AMC went, well, it's kind of retro. It's kind of like what we do, you know. And they gave him a shot. And they didn't give him a lot of money to start with. It was very modest, you know, kind of budgeting. Mm. But uh, so I came in on and I said, yeah, someone said it's it's about like these guys, you know, kind of Madison Avenue in the 60s. And, and these are this is the flashbacks of this guy's life. And I said, fine. And I, I read for it. <clears throat> and I remember being really aggravated on that day <laughs> because I was called down, you know, to audition in downtown Los Angeles. And I and I got the they got the time wrong. They gave me like an early touch call to come in, and I got there and nobody was there. It was like in the morning. Oh, oh. And they went, oh no, you're scheduled for the afternoon. I went, oh, okay, great. So I came all the way down here, <laughs> mess around for the rest of the day, and then come back in rush hour, in a time when it was terrible, when there's mm -hmm. just actors packed in this little office trying to audit. I was so aggravated. And they, they asked me to do it, and I, you know, did my thing, and they said, well, could you do it again and try it a little something else? And I'm like, yeah, whatever, and I did it again. I was really <laughs> not in a good mood, and I remember I walked yeah. out, I took the script, and I threw it in the trash. <laughs> I just said, oh, forget doing this. I don't need this, and, they, and I'm not going to get this role anyway, so why should I even bother? And sure enough, that's when they call, you know, and they go, oh, yeah, we'd like you to do this. And and it just, you know, it was an interesting role, depression-era farmer, kind of an alcoholic, you know, very, you know, not a, you know, not a ton of screen time even, but he became a, the, the, the keystone for this guy's character in a lot of ways. He became like the, people said, oh my God, it's all because of you, you know, that Don Draper is the way he is. And so it really turned into a thing for me. And I was very pleased to be part of it, very honored. And uh, it went on to make TV history, this show. So I'm, um, I'll always be really uh, uh, grateful to be part of it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, I, man. I, I absolutely enjoyed it and glad, glad to be speaking with someone who actually helped start that trend on AMC with, with original content. Because I believe Think it was oh, Mad, yes. Mad, Men, Mad Men's the one that started it all. It really did. It re, it, it, I think it almost redefined part of what, you know, cable content could really be. Um, mm. You know, I mean, there were some good shows, Sopranos, of course, HBO, but AMC, you know, just it went to the stratosphere after that film. Yeah. Uh, after that show and Walking Dead and everything else that came after that. I mean, it's it was it was an experiment and then it worked. So, you know, hats off for, for people. I love it when, you know, I love that story because it to me, it, the thing that we always struggle with in doing TV or film are people who are you know, often in executive positions. And let me just say it, it, you know, they often don't make choices that are very creative, put it that mm. way. And it's always that kind of like, well, well, that won't really make money. And everyone's got an opinion, but no one takes a risk. And the risk is the only thing that really, really matters. You know, it's like don't do something that somebody did before. 
do something different. Even if you're wrong, you're 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 in the right direction. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like that's that's what makes great movies. Take a well, risk. I, th- I I think we've seen that that does work if you know if they really put everything behind it. Yeah. Yeah. If you put it, if you get behind the, the little guy taking a risk, that's just a. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can go down the list, you know, the directors that got a film off the ground, like Star Wars, perhaps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was certainly a risk that nobody, what, some space opera? Nobody really wanted George Lucas to make that film, you know. Um, It was a huge risk. I can't even imagine that. (laughs) If if there was no Star Wars, my life would be so different. (laughs) (laughs) That's a quote, Derek. You're going to have to pick that up. If there was no Star Wars. (laughs) exactly so so hats off to the execs out there who who can see a little bit further and they actually take a risk on people that's where the good stuff is going to happen now you mentioned earlier uh your dad is robert culp which we all know from i spy which i saw in reruns I'm old enough to to know of the show because uh, of my because of my dad. Uh, yep, you bet. But yeah. uh, he was. We were when I was a kid. You know, growing up with I Spy, it, when I when it was on, it was I was I was uh, still too young to watch it. So I was that was in the you know started in the, the mid '60s, and so I was just you know a, a little tyke, and so I couldn't stay up till ten o'clock to see it. You know, which was prime time. <laughs> Uh, so in a way, I, I, I saw it in reruns, you know, by the by the late 60s. And of course, uh, the, we had copies, 16 millimeter prints of a bunch of the films wow. at home. So got to know my dad or through that. Um, and then all the stuff he did in the 70s, you know, yeah. all the TV and movies he did then. Well, and, but, and then came... I think the the first film, uh, the first project he was involved with that I got to see live yeah. as it aired, Greatest American Hero. Mm-hmm. Greatest American Hero. What a what a show! There it is. One of my all time favorites. Ah, that's great. So yeah, is a, is a show that had great heart, great spirit in a certain way. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they tried bringing it back briefly uh, a few years ago mm-hmm. when when you heard that and. And I guess, did they call you about possibly being involved in that project? Mm, yeah, no, I, I, I know I, I it, it's been rearing its head for some time. And I, I remember hearing about it a few years back and people said, dude, you know, of course, you know, you should, you should play Bill Maxwell and, you know your dad's role. And I said, yeah, it, it's a cool idea. You know, again, <coughs> TV's not always that creative when it comes to those, like they're trying to reboot something and everybody wants to put their thumbprint on it, you know? So, mm, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a cool idea to say, let's get the son of and have him be, but mm, it all, often is not people don't, you know, they don't go for it. They don't trust that well, idea. I, I wasn't thinking re redoing it. Now what I've heard is that it's, it is fully on and it's, it's going to be a woman who's yeah. the greatest American. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's happening. And, um, which I have no problems with that. I just didn't know. Oh. Would you, even if it's not recreating your dad's role, would you love to mm-hmm. come on to the series? Of course I would love to. I, and again, I, I would, uh, I will certainly put all of my agents and managers on task and say, listen, call them up and say, you know, you should put Culp on just, just for, you know, the kind of, uh, 
connection that will be made by fans and everything else. You know? Yeah. So we should, I'd love You'd to think I'd love that to would play, be a no brainer, but in fact, I'd love, you know, we should get Dr. Doom on <laughs> the new greatest American hero. That would be <laughs> a way to put it all together somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. It's a fun show. And, and I, I actually, I did an episode of Greatest American Hero. My dad was not a nepotistic guy. You know, he really didn't believe in that. If I was going to be an actor, I had to make my bones, you know, my own way. But he did a really cool thing. Um, I was a young actor, my brother and I both, uh, Jason Culp and myself, in our early 20s. I think I was 19, um, studying and acting and doing plays. And he was doing Greatest American Hero. And he, um, one thing about my father, about Robert Culp, that many people don't know, he's a very famous actor, but they don't realize he actually was a really dedicated writer. And he loved writing. And he wrote for even his first series in 1957, okay, his first Western series, he wrote for that. I was oh, wow. a very unusual guy, very unusual. He, was, he loved writing, I think, even more than acting. And I think that he, he became famous as an actor, but he was dedicated um, as a writer. And he wrote a lot of stuff. And he wrote for his own shows. He wrote seven episodes of I Spy that by far are some of the oh, best, wow. for sure. He, he, in fact, he wrote one that eventually became the pilot for the series, meaning that the pilot wasn't so good. And they buried the pilot in the first season into another later weeks. And they used his episode as the actual pilot. So, oh, wow. This is a long way. I think he was a very dedicated writer and very smart them for Stephen J. Cannell. And and one of them, he basically said, OK, my kid, my, my two boys are young actors. I'm going to get them in this somehow. And we came out from New York to L.A. and we actually had to audition. But, uh, you know. That was probably a little bit rigged. Uh, <laughs> what was casting directing to say, no, they're not very good, you know. <laughs> um, and we played, uh, he wrote the episode, and we played two young um, Latino uh, kind of characters who were in this, uh, like a Banana Republic sort of, you know, um, country that was being overtaken. And part of the story was that Bill Maxwell originally knew the, you know, revolutionary guy in the country. And. So we were these two brothers um, that were Spanish speaking, and uh, and he we got it. He got us in the mo- in in the show, and it was my pretty much my first job. You know, I you know where I got to act and get paid for it. Um, and my dad uh, made that happen. It was pretty cool. That's very cool. Greatest American hero. Yeah. So it's a, a great show to be on too. Yeah. 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 It's classic and. Connie Salica, Bill Cat is really, really pretty, you know, it stands out, you know, it only did three seasons, but it, it stands out as a kind of uh, moment in, <clears throat> in genre TV. You know, if you ever go back to the old days, uh, to the original Outer Limits shows, my dad did three of probably the most famous Outer Limits. One written by Harlan Ellison called Demon with a Glass Hand, Mm -hmm. which is basically Terminator. Um, It's it's a classic, classic piece of uh, 60s TV uh, and shot uh, in the... Bradbury building downtown, which is where uh, Blade Runner was also shot. So if you ever want to really put those two together, go check out Demon with a Glass Hand, original Outer Limits episode, 1961, I think it was. 
one or two. Yeah. Now, I, I want to ask, because during the time, we, we had three great series from this franchise, and you happened to make an appearance on, of the three, my favorite. That was mm-hmm. your character of Ramus on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Hey, right on. What, what, was, it, what was it like being on that set, knowing <laughs> you're, you're on a space station, not a star, not a starship? <laughs> Oh, um, that was that was a good show, man. Um, I loved. I, I had fun on that. It was. Uh, I. I. Yeah, I was aware that I was on a, a space station, and uh, I remember uh, the the characters were you know were interesting. Um, I felt cool. I'm getting to participate in the you know this incredible franchise of Star Trek, and uh, you know that comes from my childhood too. You know. Yep. watching the end episodes and um i just remember it was i was pleased to be there and did my menacing best um you know i always <clears throat> even as a kid you know i i remember always coming all the way back around about what is it for actors to play villains you know and in a way the villain is still the best part in a certain way it's like it's the part that you know where we get to show that shadow side of humanity and it's the part that we all remember the best yeah whether it's dr doom or ramus or um half a dozen other roles i've done where i've got to play the villain and even as a little kid i always knew that in the eight millimeter movies that we used to make my brothers and and my dad would sometimes shoot (coughs) joe was always always playing the bad guy (laughs) i was always there with the knife or the sword or the gun or Showing up with my hat like I was, you know, two feet tall, but I was the bad guy. I think I instinctively knew that since I was a little kid. I mean, I, I love. I wasn't a big Voyager fan. I did enjoy Next Generation, but it was Deep Space Nine. There's something about it that I just absolutely fell in love with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It was. It's a really special show. Yeah, I agree. So, Glad to have been part of it. Yeah. Uh, what What projects do you have coming up in the future that, well, that you can moment, talk about? Bring it back around. To, to we got Welcome to the Men's Group comes out this Friday on many VOD platforms including iTunes and Google Play and Amazon and probably, um, I think, a lot of like cable systems as well that offer indie films. Mm. So I'm very excited about that and uh, that this film will, will get seen by much waffles and special screenings. Um, we're definitely been talking about the men's group series, which you might imagine might make mm. sense. You know, it's like it really lends itself to that kind of a format. You know, if you, ah. if you got to meet these guys once a week and they're talking about their stuff, but then we can go more into their lives <clears throat> their relationships, their struggles, all the funny stuff that makes them men, I think would be awesome. So I'm really chomping at the bit to, to shoot episodes of that. Um, Good. Uh, always have a, have a bunch of projects, you know, on various, you know, cooking on various pots, um, some features. Um, yeah, I just wrote a new pilot um, for a series I wanted to do. Uh, we're going to see about getting that going about millennials and their parents and um, you know, I've got, I've even got a couple of my dad's old scripts that I'm still would like to see get done. Oh, that would be oh, awesome. That would be killer. Yeah. You know, it's like he, he, he wrote the Western genre, as you might imagine, quite well. Mm. And, um, he's got a couple of Westerns that I would love to see happen. And, you know, however I can do it, even as producing it or just being the kind of co-writer, um, 
it, it, I would love to do that because um, I grew up with a lot of those stories. I knew, you know, stuff I, I read when I was, you know, movies are a miracle. You know, they're a miracle mm-hmm. to get them done. They're you know, people always say, how did you get that done? Like, I don't know. <laughs> God smiled somehow. We got it done because it, everything can go wrong. I've had I've had more movie deals fall apart than certainly came together. And uh, and so, you know, my dad had plenty of scripts that never got made, you know, and it was like, that's typical for a writer. But I'd like to see a couple of them get done. So that's that's in my it's in my hopper as well. Um, always looking to do new stuff. And, and I'm, I'm still very passionate about the theater. So I'm always looking to create a new theater piece. Um, so more is coming and, you know, um, we'll see, we'll see what happens in the next, uh, see what, what kind of fallout, if any, from welcome to the men's group. That's always, you know, you, you, you got to push the one in front to get the next one going. So, well, if you're ever looking for podcasters for a film. Uh, we may be available. Oh, you're you're my first choice. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so yeah, but it's been a, a pleasure talking to you guys. Oh, and, thank you. And thank let's you. Uh, let let's do it again. You know, uh, if we want to go further with you know the Fantastic Four piece, yeah. you know, I'll try and we could probably get those guys. We could all do a. We could do a group chat, you know. Yeah, I, that would I will. Be awesome. I'll get in touch with you uh, sometime this weekend and see how we could possibly Please. schedule it for Mighty Marvel Geeks. I think that'd be fun. I love it. Oh, that'd be really fun. That'd and, be great. and and I will say, I I've seen the documentary about um, the the Nicolas Cage Superman. Oh uh, yeah, was that <laughs> uh-huh. the, the death of Superman? It it holds. It it doesn't hold up to Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic yeah. Four. Mark yeah. and Marty did such a phenomenal job and really put I, the research behind it to tell y'all's story perfectly. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Uh, my hats off to those guys. I was just at a. a, a uh, horror fest in uh, Kansas with Marty. Um, they uh, they flew us out there to show Doomed, and uh, oh. just a couple months ago, and, and uh, we showed Doomed, and we talked about it, and we tabled a bit, and it was it was great just to also show it, you know, with an audience and who who knew the story a bit, and they knew the original Fantastic Four film. And uh, again, it was it was just really great to be with with loyal fans who understood the magnitude of what we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, it's it's early in the morning for me and I'm going to get some more sleep in France. <laughs> well, <laughs> you guys can party all night. Uh, uh, no. We'll be going to bed, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we are. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, it it um, definitely has been a blast. Um, well, thank you very much, guys. So everyone check out Men's Club. and Welcome to the men's group. Let's welcome to the right. men's group. <sighs> and it's not, you know, we all, that's the thing, you know, Mike, we all want to be part of the men's club. You know, <laughs> there actually was a movie called Men's Club a long time ago. And group is an important word because it, it somehow brings into focus. It's not just a club. It's really about, you know, a guys who choose to be, you know, together to support right. each other, to, you know, check it out. It's it's not your usual comedy. It's not a usual drama. It's no. certainly not. Uh, it's not a comic book film, but it's got amazing performances. And it's of a very socially relevant, you know, subject, too, I might add, especially in the area era of me too and time's up you know men i'll just plug my own film men need to you know come together and support each other to be the best men they can be and even if that means you know 
being a bit bad. Uh, you know, we need to forgive each other and, uh, you know, kind of help each other along. That's yeah. what Welcome to the mm-hmm. Men's Group about. So I am going to get it right. Check out Welcome to the Men's Group this weekend on Video On Demand, on iTunes, on Roku, wherever you watch your movies on demand. Check it out. Cool. Thank you, my friend. Thank you again, Joseph, for coming on and joining well, us. Yes. Um, until next time. Want to know more? So, um, the bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club? This has been a Weeby Geeks production.